Hey everyone, welcome to the Confessions of an IT Business Owner podcast, where we believe that healthy cash flow is critical for your IT business. Automation is paramount, and building trust with your clients by looking more professional will help you grow your business. I'm your host, Dave Scott, and today we're going to talk with Christo IT CEO Chris Shalewer about a lot of the things that he went through in terms of growing and starting his IT business. If you're chasing money, 60, 90 days down the road, you're kidding yourself. You just can't operate like that, at least not sustained, because if you stub your toe, you're done. Here's the podcast with Chris. Chris Shalewer, sir, thanks for joining me. I really appreciate you taking the time today. Awesome. Thanks for having me, dear. So Chris, we obviously know your name since I just announced it to the, uh, to the, to the world, but uh, tell me the name of your company and where you're all from. So give me, give me kind of your baseball card stats. Oh, sure. We're, uh, by day, we're Cristo IT Services. We're a, uh, a 15-person MSP uh, just north of Philadelphia, about a half hour north of uh, City Hall. And uh, we've been part of the community since uh, 1999. We started really focusing on managed services and all of that fun stuff uh, in 2005. That's awesome. Are you typical Eagles fans, uh, being that you're from that area? Uh, yes. Yeah. There's, it's definitely, a uh, Philadelphia pride in in the office here. Uh, I'm, I'm, a, uh, probably a fish out of water. I'm actually a, a Dallas fan, uh, located in the Philadelphia area, but, um, most of my staff is, uh, begrudgingly allowed me that while, uh, still rooting for the Philadelphia Eagles every once in a while. Nice. Nice. You love the team that America loves to hate and, yes. uh, your staff <laughs> loves the team that, that you can thank us for your first round draft pick for Mr. Carson Wentz. Uh, yes, uh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> North, North, North Dakota. Absolutely. He's, uh, he's been a very, uh, uh, he's been a new lifeblood in the, in the Philly Eagles. Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, Brady, uh, our CEO and I talk uh, almost daily about how the Vikings should have drafted him. So that's, that'll be one we're kicking ourselves <laughs> probably for the next two decades on. <laughs> so Chris, you know, we know a little bit about what you do and where you're from. What was the passion behind starting your, uh, your IT company? I was always a, I was always a computer guy. Um, I, I always played around with computers. I was always the, the go-to guy, uh, Growing up and in my first couple of jobs is in uh, chemical engineering and marketing and stuff like that. And I eventually got to a point where uh, I started doing moonlighting and then um, started a business. I like to talk about people um, coming to work for me as one of my biggest honors. Uh, they uh, put their faith in me and, and uh, in the business and, and our passion for things. And uh, it's always uh, such a big honor to have somebody come and put their livelihood and, and trust in us. Um, I always tell people uh, one of the first gut checks um, about two or three years into the business was hiring that first person. I still consider that one of the, the biggest leaps of faith that I had. Yeah, I love that. And I think um, it sounds like, and just from knowing you um, a little bit outside of the four walls inside of Connect Booster, you know, you guys really pride yourself on that culture, right? And that's one thing I've always admired about you. Yeah, uh, we have some really long tenured guys um, that have, I mean, that have worked for me for uh, 12, 13 years, all, all the way through uh, a couple guys, new guys on the team. But our average tenure is, is uh, probably five or six years with the team. That's awesome. That's awesome. Let's transition a little bit. I want to know a little bit more about 
the day you left your old nine to five job for the opportunity of being self-employed, what was that like? Oh, <laughs> uh, well, it started with a pink slip, which is always a great start to any right? story. Um, so I was I was one of those huge startups um, uh, that went from you know a fifty person company to a three hundred person company, and then a year later they were back down to the fifty person company again. Um, so, uh, I had been moonlighting, so I had already, uh, we just went for it. Um, funny enough, uh, uh, I think it was almost 60 days later, we found out we were pregnant with our, with our first one. So oh, man, <laughs> it was always, always just a gut check there, uh, which happens throughout the course of, of anybody's, uh, uh, fun participation in this journey. Yeah. That is stressful. Holy cow. <laughs> <laughs> so when did you so you were moonlighting you got the pink slip but let's back up a little bit before that when did you first have the notion that you wanted to be self-employed um i'm the i'm the son of an entrepreneur so okay. um i it, it was um kind of cooked into me because uh, my father was working out of a, a a fourth bedroom up in the 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 upstairs and, and having clients visit and phone calls and things of that nature and he was starting an accounting practice up um so i can i can remember just uh being raised in that house of uh this is this is important to, you know um let's and, and my mom worked for my dad at the time as well so i i was kind of um incubated into that entrepreneur uh uh, mindset from from a very early age. Yeah, that's awesome. So, what was your perception as a little kid watching your parents, um, you know, live through that and go through that professionally? Because you know, for my kids, I have two daughters, and they've seen me do both. Right, I've worked for large Fortune 500 companies where I punched in, punched out, eight to five, uh, Monday through Friday. It was simply a number in the HR department, right, and I had an employee number and a badge and you know everything like that. And they've also seen me struggle and work 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 hours a week um, some years. So it's been crazy for them. So I, one of my daughter's perceptions is, hey, this is really cool, Dad. I'm glad you're doing it. The other one's like, hey, this sucks. This is hard. <laughs> like, I don't want to do this. And I begrudge you because, you know, a little bit, um, begrudge, begrudge you because you did this. So what was what was your perception growing up in that environment? What was that like? Um, I, I don't remember having any... Uh aha moments um maybe when i was a, uh, when i got into my early teens uh you get into the, to middle school or high school and um uh but as a, as a younger kid i don't it was just the way things were and um it dad works 80 hours a week i remember getting in trouble once when i was a little kid when i said dad was a workaholic i didn't know what the term meant i just right. thought it was, it was somebody said something on tv and i said and that got uh, I was at over at a friend's house and that got back around to mom real quick, of course. And, and what do you mean by that? And I was like, I don't know. I just thought it was funny. You don't say that. OK, well, <laughs> um, but it was it was just kind of how the, the our house was. I mean, this was you, you work really hard. I, you know, we always uh, had great times together and everything like that. But it was um, there were there was no uh, aha moment, probably until high school when. I think what started to click for me was um, I was a, a swimmer and had uh, swim meets and stuff like that, and my dad was uh, always there. So um, part of what clicked for me was having that 
flexibility as, a, as an entrepreneur, as a business owner, he was working so that he had that flexibility to show up for a swim meet in the afternoon. That kind of clicked for me as uh, what I want to do for my kids. Yeah. And I think, you know, for a lot of um, self-employed people and that move into the season of entrepreneurship, because there is a difference. And uh, in the book, um, uh, there's a Carol Roth book. She's a, um, a businesswoman and an author. And she she wrote the book, The Entrepreneurial Equation. And she talks about the difference between somebody being self-employed and having one or two employees versus somebody who's an entrepreneur. And But I think the freedom that, that either one of those categories... Um, either one, a person who's either self-employed or entrepreneurial fits in, I think the freedom that you get, that being that digital nomad, so to speak, or unemployable, as I like to call it, <laughs> I think there's I think there's a lot of value in that, right? And not being tied down. And, and yes, you have to work some weeks. It's 40, 30, 40, 50, 60 hours. Under 40 or 50 is probably doesn't happen, <laughs> truthfully sure, speaking. Sure, but sure. I think anything over 70, 80, 90 hours a week is probably the norm. But there's a lot of value that comes with that, right? There is, as, as long as you're not lying to yourself, Dave. I mean, um, you're going to go through spurts, especially as as the as the business hits, you know, certain tiers. As you as you as you get out of that uh, hundred, two hundred thousand dollar tier, and you get into the uh, the the you know three or four employee tier, and then you get into half a dozen tier, and as, as you're going to hit those tiers where you're going to have to you're going to have to put a sustained time of um, I don't see any daylight ahead of me and and you're going to hit those black periods but as as long as you keep um, uh, true to yourself and that I'm going to get through this and this is why I'm doing this and you're not lying to yourself that well the next level is just after the next level um, you're you're going to be okay. What gets you through all that? Talk to me a little bit more about that. Like, what gets you through those seasons or those periods? For a couple of those periods, um, uh, I had the the blessing of having my wife work with me. Um, and um, you know, it's it's a lot of people kind of go, "Oh my God, how was that?" I was like, "Well, it had its bad days and its good days because you're with each other all the time." But uh, at the same time, when you get home at night. Every, you, you know how the day was already. So you, if it was a bad day, you both had it. So it was it was experiencing that together. So there was um, uh, a lot of positives that came out of that. Um, since then, my wife's gone back to, to quote-unquote, uh, her real job or her real career. Um, um, but uh, it, it is working with my team in the office that um, – Hey, this is what we're working on now, um, and that gets you through uh, those solidarity, uh, those solidarity pieces. Um, and then coming home, and and obviously uh, getting a, a hug and kiss from the, the wife and the kids is uh, uh, obviously going to get you through just about any bad period in your time. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, and yeah, amen to that. That's mm -hmm. truer words have never been spoken. <laughs> What, tell me the story of what draws you back into your office every day. Like what you put your feet on the floor and realize, hey, this is a new day. What, what draws you back to it every day? Uh, over the past year or two, we've been uh, working on uh, new cloud solutions and, and new ways of talking to clients about technology. So uh, since we're obviously in this industry that's constantly changing, um, 
having that something new to talk about with people or um, everybody's seen the headlines recently with cybersecurity and having that ongoing conversation of like this is constantly evolving and and I have something to tell you about. Um, I have something to talk to you about. That's really kind of uh, what um, uh, really gets my jets firing. That innovation piece, that creativity piece, it sounds like is really important to you. Yes, yeah. absolutely. You know, maybe looking back on everything over the last, what, 14, 15 years of business, you got to put your feet up on the desk every once in a while and go, man, it, it feels good to be here at this point that we are today. Yeah, every once in a while, um, I'm, I'm a, uh, I'm a little bit of a blushing boss on that kind of stuff. So, uh, I, I get thank yous. I get thank yous from clients and I get thank yous from staff and stuff like that. And I, um, I appreciate it. It's always, uh, uh it's always appreciated. Um, but if we're not constantly um, having that conversation, having that here's what value I can bring to you the table, um, it's uh, it's going to be short lived. So I I, I kind of always have that whisper in the back of my mind of uh, we we got to be bringing something new, otherwise we're yesterday's news. Yeah, no, I hear you. I think I've never met an entrepreneur that likes self self pats on the back, right? Yep. That, <laughs> it's just not it's just not in their DNA. And to your point. If uh, if you're not sleeping, you're working. If you're not working to think about something innovative to bring additional value, um, you know there's something missing. So I, I I hear what you're saying on that. Yep. I know firsthand how uh, hard and tough it can be owning and running a business. Talk to me about some of the struggles in owning your managed service practice. You talked a little bit about uh, you know the struggles of maybe working with a spouse, or in your case, it sounds like it was a blessing. Um, the struggles of hiring good people and and things of that nature. So talk to me about one or two things that's hard about running and owning a managed service business. Um, part of it is what we were just talking about, keeping up with everything new. So, cause it is so constantly changing. Um, uh, one of our biggest struggles uh, was in the beginning was to come up with our quote unquote stack. It, it, this is what we're going to bring to the table because it's so easy to get distracted and we didn't have a value internally for what consistency meant to us as an organization. So um, when I, what I mean by that is, well, we, we had these eight different solutions as opposed to here's the value in just having these two solutions and here's the value in just having this one solution. Cause, um, that was really one of the biggest struggles is bringing all of that together. And it took literally years to finally consolidate all of that and have one solution stack that we're going to be able to provide to our customers. And it was absolutely invaluable. Um, something else that we, we really kind of worked on, uh, we had a number of acquisitions through the years and, um, that didn't help on uh, the consistency because when you acquire things, you don't really have the luxury of uh, bringing in exactly everything as you have it now and as you would want it. Um, so uh, I've talked numerous times in numerous paces about all the different acquisitions that we had and all the pains that go along with assimilating those clients as well as assimilating the staff that comes along with them. Um, and it, it was really a growing point for uh, both my business partner and myself as far as 
who we were as leaders and, and what we wanted to become. Um, and, and kind of the most recent struggle for us was uh, we finally had a, a, a sit down with ourselves and said, look, we, we can't continue to grow the way we're growing and still be able to provide service to time and materials clients. So we, we had um, a number of clients that had been with us since the very, very beginning. Um, and we, we finally just had to have personal sit downs with them and say, look, we're, we're not going to be the, I know you put your trust in us over the years and when we were little guys and you helped us grow and, but unfortunately we're moving on from this and we're going to need to move on from, from you as a relationship, as a vendor. Interesting. So it sounds like you guys have gone through a handful of, uh, M and A deals or merger and acquisitions where you've had some struggles, not only from um, um, a resource perspective, but like you talked about uh, the post-merger and acquisition tasks, right? Like how do you assimilate people from their culture to your culture? Do you keep some of the team members? Do you not? What's the revenue stack looks like? Um, do you offer more product offerings? You know, you touched on that a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. So talk to us a little bit more about that. Like what was, what was your overall... Um, what was your overall opinion of M&A? Is that something that you uh, have a bit of a sour taste in your mouth about, or is it something <laughs> that you'd recommend to other other peers? Oh, t- so many lessons learned on that one, Dave. So, uh, uh, we've got time, so go ahead and regurgitate <laughs> everything. <laughs> Here, here's, here's the first one, and this actually relates to, to your world. Your world. Um, uh, one, of, one of the biggest lessons learned was have a very blunt conversation about invoicing and um, how companies say, well, we invoice on the first of the month and everybody pays on the 30th of the month is a very different conversation from everybody pays before the first of the month. Um, So very quickly with one of our uh, acquisitions in in 2009, we quickly ran uh, aground almost in the first 30 days because uh, the cash flow wasn't there on day one on the M&A. Um, and that was uh, horrific um, <laughs> um, to the point of, well, where, where was that $100,000 that we were expecting? Um, uh, well, we're not going to get that for 30, 45, 60 days from now. Um, that was a uh, um, that was quite a gut check there. Um, second lesson learned that I had was really that the acquiring company really needs to be using uh, some sort of system, uh, a PSA of some sort, because uh, having Excel and calendars as a mechanism for delivering their IT services um, is you can't know what value you're getting if, if the company's not using the system. Right. Yeah. It sounds like you did. You acquire somebody who wasn't using a PSA at all. Yeah, actually, uh, two of our biggest were Excel and calendars, and um, they had hit the point of you know four or five employees, and were hitting those um, points that I'm sure a lot of the, the listeners have had, where you re- reach that point and the wheels start coming off. You can't um, uh, you can't manage beyond that point. So they were at the point of making the decision on investing in some sort of system and instead decided to get out of the business. Wow. Interesting. Um, so invoicing was a huge issue post M&A because cash flow wasn't available based on maybe the financial due diligence and the acquiring companies didn't really have a good process um, or a software tool, I should say, for delivery, right? 
Yes, those were absolutely huge for us. And and that cash flow um, was a very, very tough lesson. Yeah, being shorted a hundred grand or whatever that dollar amount <laughs> is is not <laughs> that's not uh, that's not a stressless situation, right? No, that's a big oops. Yeah, right, exactly. Did you guys go through an M and A advisory firm, an M and A firm, or did you use an attorney or a broker? How did you how did you go through that process? Uh, we use, so when we first looked at M and As, um, at, we, we've done uh, six of them throughout the course of the uh, our our company lifetime or okay. uh, going on 20 years now um most of them have been small you know one two three person shops and and they were all done with uh, an accountant and maybe a couple hours with a lawyer just writing something up and it was a pretty cut and dry, you know cut and dry kind of thing what was the post acquisition like like was there um was there a plan or was it just hey here's the keys to the new operation with all these new employees violent shove in the small of your back and down a steep hill and away you go with lots of bumps and bruises along the way or was there a post acquisition strategy that you all had in place by working with an M&A team the plan um, was always to have uh, sit downs with each of the clients sit downs with each of the uh, the new employees um, and that worked uh, eight times out of ten that worked okay um, sometimes the wheels came off um, just from a, uh, you know, the clients, the clients that you're acquiring have businesses and timetables and things that are going on, and um, your interruption of that has very very little, very little validity to do with their day. Um, so they, um, and most of the time it worked okay. Um, our biggest lessons learned was that we didn't get granular enough with the acquiring value companies ah, so got it um when when you're our size and, and i mean once you get up into the, the the millions upon millions of dollars that's that's a different story but when typically in in our msp world you're you're dealing with a couple million dollars and less companies and there's absolutely no reason this is my biggest lessons learned in 2020 hindsight is there's absolutely no reason why during the due diligence process and the valuation process, you can't go line item by line item, company by company, and assign a value to each of those companies um, and what they are in terms of value that you're going to be paying for, what the expectations are. You can assign a different plan to each one of those companies um, based on what their needs are, based on what the history is, um, upcoming projects, what what the owner of the business that is that client. Um, you can get that granular. There's no reason why you can't. Uh, it is going to take a little bit more time, but it's absolutely, if you lay that out during the, the valuation and the due diligence process, you will come back in spades as far as being very, very clear with both who you're buying, the owner of the company that you're buying, um, as well as yourself and, and not uh, peanut buttering the value over however many companies that you're buying. Yeah, no, and I, I think you hit the nail on the head when you talked about uh, doing and going through the due diligence process. What I hear often in M&A world is don't go, people that go cheap regret it. Don't go cheap. Spend the proper amount of money and time to do it right up front. Go through that really Find take take a fine tooth comb to the due diligence process to make sure that everything is set. 
Yeah, that's, and um, us being entrepreneurs, we have a tendency to kind of gloss over those details. And, right. and what you want to do is you want to bring those detail people to the table with you, those those lawyers that are going to go over every single line item because we have a tendency not to. Right. Uh, we have a tendency to, to uh, rely more on gut check and looking in the eyes of somebody and um, handshake and a really what your feeling is. Um, and this is not when, – when you go to that table, this is not the place for that. You want those accounting lawyer people by your side that are going to be those detail people. Yeah. No, I think that's really good wisdom. We'd like to take a quick break to highlight our sponsors and some of the things they'd like to offer our listeners. Do you want to generate more leads and learn how you can grow your business using a proven strategy? Ever wondered how you can leverage digital marketing to accomplish this while taking your advertising to the next level? Then consider having a conversation with Josh Whitford of 5stepmarketing.com. Josh is an expert at helping small businesses grow using innovative tactics that have worked for large brands such as giftcards.com, mycoupons.com, navyseals.com, and many more. Right now, Josh is offering a free strategy session for one hour to do a deep dive with you to learn about your market and collaboratively develop an online marketing strategy based on your target audience. The strategy session is free and you have the flexibility to either implement the strategy yourself or have Josh implement it for you. This is a turnkey solution. This is only for our podcast listeners, so check out Josh and his offering at 5stepmarketing.com slash audit. That's the number 5stepmarketing.com slash audit. Our second sponsor for today's show is Bevoip. Bevoip is the perfect channel-only offering for your IT firm and MSP business. Bevoip works with businesses around the globe to incorporate cloud communications into your big picture telecom strategy. Their program is built for MSPs, IT firms, and cloud service providers. And Bevoip happens to be the VoIP provider for your friends here at Connect Booster and Connect Booster's parent company, BNG. So check them out on the web at bevoip.com. And now, back to the show. Let's talk about the value of automation um, inside of your business, right? We know, I think we all can agree that it's critical to the health and success of any IT company. What? Talk to me a little bit about what processes and systems that you're automating today. A lot of what we automate now really comes from our uh, ConnectWise PSA system. So um, it pretty much runs our entire business. It runs everything from the ticketing to the invoice and and a lot of people in the MSP world are familiar with it, but we've really uh, automated a lot of that to take away the need for uh, more overhead in our business. We we are really kind of um, expense conscious in our um, in, in our MSP. So wherever we can avoid having a, a person do something, um, even if it only gets us 80% of the way there with the automation we're going to automate it rather than having somebody sit there and uh, do the busy work for lack of a better term. Um, we really, really abhor um, throwing a warm body at something. We're, we're really going to uh, automate the hell out of it instead. 
what uh, you talked about PSA, what sort of things are you all automating through your PSA? Are you automating everything from delivery to support tickets to quoting? I mean, we're, as you know, we, we use ConnectWise here at Connect Booster, um, mm-hmm. and we love it. And, um, you know, we use it for quoting. Our sales guys and our marketing team uses it for quoting purposes. What are some of the other things specifically that you're all automating through that? We board uh, B-O-A-R-D. We board the hell out of just about anything that we can uh, compartmentalize in the business. So we automate everything from the quoting process. We actually use um, the ticket system for our sales pipeline. So um, we use activities and stuff like that, and my salesperson uh, does all of that. But once we get an appointment, uh, once we have somebody who wants to sit down and meet with us and we're actually going to spend some time with, um, that moves into a ticket and we start, uh, automating that process all the way through, you know, a, a qualification state through a tech assessment, um, uh, automatically attaching, um, those checklists and, and due diligence processes during that, uh, courting phase and, and vetting phase for a, a new prospect all the way through to the, the, the quoting phase and, and getting that proposal in front of the, uh, in front of the prospect and getting them to sign. And that's the beauty of automation. What's, you talked a little bit about the why that you've done it. What, what do you feel like the improvements have been by automating a lot of these, what, what I would call manual, manual tasks or manual time sucks? Um, in most small businesses, you, you typically have some sort of champion of X, Y, Z, whatever it happens to be. The, mm-hmm. the, this person knows how to do this, or this person knows how to do this. Um, uh, one of the really big benefits that we've seen out of the automation of it is that um, it doesn't, if that person goes on vacation or they're just not in that day, um, that excellence that they have, those little nuances can be part of that automation and it can be done the same way, the same excellent way by any member of the organization. Yeah, and I think that efficiency, um, that efficiency speaks for itself, doesn't it? Yes. You can't, um, uh, you can't put a price tag on that because um, it, once it becomes part of your culture on that, it's just how things are done, and the expectation level just rises, and that's your new baseline. So new people coming into our company, new employees, um, even new, even new customers, you get that wow factor, um, that, um, you can't put a price tag on that. Well, uh, on day one, I had this, 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 and this, and, um, it just happens no matter what, if somebody's out sick, if somebody's on vacation, like I said, it still happens and you, you don't have to rely on, um, as, as much as they're awesome, you don't have to rely on human beings. You can rely more on your processes and allow the team to get things done instead of an individual. Yeah, no, and I, I love that. I think, too, and, and I have this conversation a lot with Matt Bitsagai. He's our chief technology officer here at Connect Booster. And we often talk about the value of either being small or embracing the chaos that's going to come with growing as a business. And One of the things that is easy to do is stay small so you don't have to automate and you don't have to do a lot of these things so that you can scale and grow your business, right? Because scalability is key as you grow. If you're not, um, that's a a huge roadblock. But as you grow, to your point, you can't rely on awesome human beings to do a lot of the things that you did 
at two million or five million dollars. Once you get to seven, eight, nine, ten million, and fifteen million, and twenty million in annual revenue, you really have to take a focus and take a step back and remove people from certain functions so that these things can be automated so that you can grow and scale without people jumping off the rooftops. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And and I mean, one of those ones is in your world. I mean, accounts receivable is you could pay somebody to sit there and poke people all day long. Mm-hmm. Um, and why? Uh, why not automate that? Why not have um, something that pokes people uh, automatically? I mean, um, I'm sure most PSAs do, but ConnectWise has an awesome university article of set up an accounts receivable board, set up automated statuses, and just let it run. Yeah. And you might cringe at that, and I and I get I had that when I first heard this, I, I had that cringe factor of, well, it might rub people the wrong way. Nope. Get past that. Really? That's not it's not that's not truth. That's not fact. Um, it's it, when I first heard this. Well, you know, you got to cre- treat your clients with kid gloves and, um, you know, don't ask them too often for to get paid and everything like this. And I always had that cringe moment with people. And you got to get past that. You got to get past your own head trash of um, you provided services or you are going to provide services that they need to pay. And uh, automating that is is no way going to offend anybody. Um it, it just isn't. It's you're providing a business transaction, and oh by the way, here's your invoice. A couple of days later, oh by the way, I haven't heard anything from you. Here's your invoice. I mean, there's no reason why you can't poke people like that. Right. I love it. I think sometimes we like to make things harder, like to think that they're harder than they actually are. Um. Yeah. I. I think. Um, <laughs> uh, unfortunately, I'm probably. Uh, uh, I don't take offense when I get a, a notice in the mail. Why would any of my clients do? Right. Me neither. I actually think it's a point of pride because it tells me that they're focused on their customers and their follow-up is good. If I didn't ever hear from somebody and I just got a random invoice like six months later. Well, here's a, here's a story. So um, <laughs> about 10 years ago, my wife and I were selling our home. Um, we got into a bit of legal trouble, not anything on our end. And... Uh, we, so I hired an attorney and everything worked out fine in the end. Everything went, was hunky dory, uh, albeit during my vacation, which was awesome, right? My week and a half long (laughs) vacation, I'm having to deal with attorney phone calls and going back and forth, but all that to be said, everything worked out just fine in the end. But literally seven months later, I get a bill and we didn't get a bill from our attorney and it wasn't a lot. It was like a couple thousand bucks or whatever. And I'm like, this guy has really crappy follow-up. Like he is a bulldog of an attorney and I'm, I'm grateful that I worked with him and he's awesome. Um, but he, he is not that talented and that smart to be above good customer service. Right. And as a consumer, as a customer that, um, and it's somebody in marketing, like I've been for a long time, I really pride myself and I try to pride uh, and I try to filter things through the lenses of good customer care and good customer service. And when that, doesn't happen because people don't pay attention to meticulous details through good billing or good invoicing. It just kind of shows up as a blight. It it does. And um, I think that's probably one of the biggest struggles in, in our little IT community and, and is that 99% of us have come out of the technical end of things, uh, providing that service 
um, saying thank you to somebody, shaking their hands, fixing their problem, making their day better, and then leaving the, wherever it happens to be, either you know, uh, remotely or in person. And then exactly kind of the story that you see, the all of the other stuff happens, the, the invoicing, staying up at night, trying to generate your, your timesheets and trying to do this and that and the other thing. And it, it isn't done as well because uh, less importance is placed on it because most of us came out of the tech field and that's where the priority lays is fixing the problems, not necessarily putting on the best face on your, your invoicing process or your accounts receivable process or um, it, because it's typically a, uh, an afterthought, uh, for lack of a better term. Um, but it really does, uh, it, it's, it's as much as your presentation as how quick your service is and how good your service is. Yeah, I completely agree. I wrote a blog piece a few years ago. Uh, it was pretty therapeutic. It was called The 31 Things I Would Tell My Younger Self. If you could go back in time and you could talk to your younger self after seeing what you've accomplished today and a lot of the victories and even defeats that you've had, what would you say? What sort of wisdom would you impart on a younger Chris? Wow. Um, stay away from the fried foods. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, probably the, the, the biggest thing would be uh, similar to what I had spoken about earlier, get out of your own way. Um, stick with what you're good at. Um, and as much as it pains everybody to part with that money, hire somebody to do that job, either a, uh, either a 1099 or an employee, um, because they can, regardless of what you think, they can do it better than you. Uh, because your part-time brain is just never going to be as good as somebody whose sole focus is to do that. It's good wisdom. Knowing what you know today, would you do anything differently? I know you talked a little bit about M&A. Would you maybe not go through an M&A deal without doing one thing, or would you not hire this sort of person, or would you hire this sort of person, or would you do some one thing differently? So what's, what's one or two things that, knowing what you know today, that you'd do differently I would get more into the process earlier. Um, um, uh, we relied a little bit too much on that individual excellence that I talked about earlier, where we put it down on paper as to why are they excellent when they do blah, blah, blah for you. Why are they excellent? And actually writing down all the little nuances of what they do and how they care and, um, you have this um, fantasy, or I did at least, of, well, that's some of the magic of what Christo IT is about. And, and we have these wonderful people, and they do this wonderful job. Um, and somehow by writing it down, we were somehow going to kill the magic. Um, I don't know if I consciously or subconsciously thought this, but uh, getting more into that process earlier would have absolutely been a... Um, if I could go back and, and whisper in my own ear, just uh, just write it down. I love it. Lastly, what's the number one point or message that you could drive home to any of your peers listening to this podcast today? So imagine somebody in your shoes, maybe they're just starting out or they're in the middle of a of a uh, interesting season. What's the one point or message that you would want them to hear? I would actually have two. Uh, one, cash flow is everything, which is an easy one. It, it translates all businesses, but um, 
if if you're chasing money 60 90 days down the road um you're you're kidding yourself um you, you just can't operate like that at least not sustained because if you stub your toe you're done uh you're going to have a major problem um so cash flow is absolutely everything. And the, and the second thing I, I probably would um, highlight for everybody is to get granular within yourself. And what I mean by that is you can go line item by line item. You can go client by client and get really, really specific about not only making sure that you're providing the best service to them and going, what do they need? What is their roadmap? How can I provide better consulting services to that client? as well as granularity on your inside as for yourself. Uh, are they a profitable client? Can they, uh, is there anything that we can do to uh, get more efficiency out of that one client? Um, we can talk about generalizations and things that overlap an umbrella of the entire company, but um, it's very rare that we have, once we reach a certain size, that um, we're not going to that line item by line item detail and, and paying attention to those fine things because even if you squeeze just a little bit out of each one of those line items, it's going to make a huge impact on the bottom line for yourself. I like it. Chris, where can people find out more about you and your business? I'm a, I'm a kind of a Facebook junkie, so I'm all over Facebook. Uh, Christoit.com. We have our uh, our cartoon characters there. So we talk about our unique selling proposition there and our different cartoon characters and, and what makes Crystal IT different. That's uh, a great way to find out more about them. Um, and uh, on LinkedIn. So uh, if you could look up uh, Chris Chalor or Crystal IT Services, uh, I'm usually on LinkedIn as well. Before we end today's episode, we'd like to thank our sponsors, Five Step Marketing and Bevoip. Don't forget to take advantage of your free one-hour marketing strategy session with Josh and his team. That link again is 5stepmarketing.com slash audit. That's the number 5, 5stepmarketing.com slash audit. And check out Bevoip if you're looking to improve your telecom strategy. You can find Bevoip online at bevoip.com. Chris, hey man, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you as a person, as a friend, and as a partner. So thank you so much for being awesome, on this podcast Awesome, awesome, awesome. Thank you for having me, and uh, always great to talk to you, dude. All right. Thanks, Chris. We'll talk to you soon, buddy. Bye-bye. Thanks again, everyone, for joining us on the Confessions of an IT Business Owner podcast. Thanks again to Chris Schluer, the CEO of Christo IT Services. And if you want to learn more about the podcast, download the show and, and even the transcript. And if you want to take a look at the case study that we actually published about Chris and his company and the automation tools that he uses to grow his business, you can check all that out at connectbooster.com forward slash podcast. Thanks again, everyone, for being on the show and joining us today. We'll talk to you soon.